0: Thank you for the songs this evening. We'll be continuing our study in the Psalms. So we have come to Psalm 122. So we'll start with our summary statement. Psalm 122 prays for the future peace and prosperity of Jerusalem under the reign of the house of David. go over that again. Psalm 122 prays for the future peace and prosperity of Jerusalem under the reign of the house of David. Simple outline for the psalm in two parts, verses 1 to 5. The Restoration of Jerusalem. Verses 6 to 9. The Command to Pray. Go over that again. Verses 1 to 5. The Restoration of Jerusalem. Verses 6 to 9 the command to pray. All right, so we'll move to our observations. Psalm 122 was written by David, and you can see the superscription there, a song of degrees of David. The superscription ascribes it to him. Um, There are some that doubt that op- authorship and think that it might be for David, but um, really there's there's no real compelling reason for that. Um, it is, uh, we take it to be authored by David. There's no musical direction in the text. Uh, again, the use of the word for song there, the lyrical um, song that is used in the superscription, that's all the musical direction that there is. And there's no specific occasion given. So when you, when you read this psalm, and um, some have tried to tie it to uh, a certain celebration, certain festival, but when you read this psalm and you, and you take it all together, you realize that there's some, some problems actually with trying to make this an occasion in David's lifetime. So one of those is the fact that the tabernacle was not in Jerusalem during David's reign. It was actually in Gibeon. Um, David did put up a tent for the Ark of the Covenant when they brought that back to Jerusalem, and he did put that on the future temple site. But Solomon would build the actual temple after um, you know David had died. So there was no going up to Jerusalem to the House of the Lord to any sort of feast in David's lifetime. Um, and you can read about that, the Ark, and, and all of that. Uh, that's 2 Samuel chapters 5 and 6, I think mainly, that talk about that. So obviously this this occasion that David is writing about, he's looking to a future time. And you can even see some of that future tense in there, you know, uh, talking about our feet shall stand within the gates of Jerusalem. So David is looking to a future time when the Davidic covenant is fulfilled and all the tribes and nations will be gathered to Jerusalem. So it's a, um, again, not a Not an occasion in David's lifetime, but it is uh, a prophetic psalm. So to categorize, it is a psalm of ascent, and we've noted those, the the group of psalms that begins with Psalm 120 and goes through Psalm 134, and they are a very obvious group of psalms, all sharing that superscription uh, with the occasional mention of an authorship. Psalm 122 is the third of the 15 psalms of ascent, of us sent, and if you um, look at the minor elements of the psalm, uh, we would have to categorize it as a Zion psalm. I know the word Zion doesn't appear in the text, but it does talk about Jerusalem, and and that is the reference. It is a Zion psalm. Um, It's also a prayer psalm, and I would also categorize it as um, prophetic, predictive, uh, because it does look forward to a future um, time. Now, Psalm one hundred twenty-two. It does connect within these Psalms of ascent, and we've talked about how there are themes and even repeated phrases and things that go all the way through those fifteen Psalms. Not necessarily in every single one, but they're all they're all connected, and we can actually think of these Psalms of Ascent as envisioning the future restoration of Jerusalem and the gathering of Israel and the nations to Jerusalem. So by the time you go from beginning to end, that really is the overall message of this group of Psalms. So starting in Psalm 120, it opened with the theme of exile and desperation and, and all of that. 121 follows with this hoped-for journey to Jerusalem and prayer for deliverance and safety to, to safely, safely be there. And then Psalm 122 follows along, envisioning the feet of David standing within the gates of Jerusalem. So you can see that there is, again, there's a, there's a sort of progression um, in the Psalms. And obviously, it also has connections with other Zion Psalms, and two in particular, Psalm 48 and Psalm 87. Um, it shares um, a number of things with Now, the poetic features of Psalm 122, um, the first would be the structure of the psalm. And this is another psalm that uses couplets. We've talked about that, where you have these verse pairs. Well, the interesting thing about the way this psalm is constructed is that it uses these verse pairs except for verse 5. Verse 5 doesn't have a pair. Um, And so when you look at it, you realize verse 5 is in the center. Of this psalm, you have two pairs before it, and you have the pairs after it. So verse five is in the center. So when you have that sort of a structure um, poetically, what that means is is that the emphasis is is on the center. So the so the whole psalm is turning on that center. It becomes central to the psalm. And of course, in this case, um, what is verse five about? Well, verse five is about the thrones of judgment of the house of David being restored. And so that is the center, the psalm it turns on. That's the emphasis. That's the, that's the crucial piece. You might think of it. Uh, one way to think of it would be maybe it's like a linchpin that it's it's right in the center of all these mechanisms, holding them all together. And you remove that linchpin, you know, and they're all just gonna, they're all just gonna fall out. And so that's the structure of the psalm. The psalm makes use of repetition. Um, the word the the city of Jerusalem is mentioned. Um, the house, the house of the Lord. Uh, and the word for peace uh, is are repeated several times in the Psalms. Obviously, significant terms within the Psalm. And the other poetic feature of this Psalm is the way that it uses geographic and architectural features of Jerusalem. So it's so it's a very um, it's a very tangible description. It's 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 a it's not it's not a vision in the sense of seeing like some sort of symbolic vision. But uh, it's, a, it's a vision of a, of a reality, of a tangible reality of a restored Jerusalem. And it comes across um, through the psalm that way as well. All right, so we will work our way through this psalm. There are nine verses, and I'll go ahead and read those. I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together. Whither the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel, to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, they shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls, and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sakes, I will now say, peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. So verses 1 and 2 open up this vision of Jerusalem, um, speaking of going up to the house of the Lord. Now, the word for house refers primarily to a dwelling place and was typically used of the tabernacle. The house of the Lord would refer to the tabernacle and and maybe the, the temple. But however, remember, the tabernacle is not in Jerusalem. Um, when David is writing this psalm. And the going up here clearly refers to Jerusalem, as we see that made made plain in verse 2, but throughout the rest of the psalm, it's, it's clearly going up to the house of the Lord that's in Jerusalem is what David is referring to. And he refers to the gates of the city that are mentioned and the going up to Mount Zion. And actually, you have that phrase um, that, that shows up there um, in verse number 4, the going up the going up to Mount Zion. This is the temple mount, the the house, the dwelling place of Yahweh. Now, um, Psalm 122 is one of those psalms that there's a couple of verses in it that people are pretty familiar with, and you've probably heard, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Okay, that is not talking about going to church. That is talking about the future restoration of of Jerusalem. We'll see that by the end. So it's not talking about going to church on Sunday um, for a worship service. That's not what that verse is about. And we'll see another very common, commonly known verse um, in, in just a, a few minutes. So we get then to verses three and four. And here we see Jerusalem restored. We're starting to get this description of this city. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together. And, and um, the word there for build is is actually a word, it, it means to be built, to be built up. It can even mean rebuilt, um, which is possibly, uh, I would say, the emphasis of it here. And the word for compact is, is kind of odd, um, but it, it has the idea of being joined together or being united. And commentators um, look at this verse and they typically say, well... It's it's the you know it's the, the tribes of Israel that are united within Jerusalem, um, or or something. Um, most likely, especially given the fact that, that we've got these sort of geographic and even architectural type of descriptions, uh, and then we see it uh, we see it mentioned. It comes right after the gates, and then later we're going to see mention of the walls and such. That that Jerusalem is is built. It's it's rebuilt. And it's it's complete. It's a complete city. So the so the walls surround the city. They're they're joined together. Jerusalem is is a complete um, city that has been built, or in this sense, rebuilt. So I believe that really is the the what the emphasis is there. Um, and then we get the mention of the tribes going up, and this word for uh, going up is the same. Uh, word that's used uh, really at the end of 2 Chronicles. I think it's maybe the very last verse of the book of 2 Chronicles. And if you, you recall, 2 Chronicles is a post-exile book. It's one of the last books of the Old Testament that was written, along with Malachi, uh, Nehemiah, and, and Ezra and such. So it's, so it's a and a post-exile book. And 2 Chronicles ends essentially recognizing that this return from Babylon even though a return from Babylon was prophesied this is not the full restoration of Israel that was prophesied and so that is still yet to come and you get this word for going up um, that is mentioned in, in going up to Jerusalem. And then this word gets repeated throughout these Psalms of Ascent. And so it's it's a word that was associated with the restoration of Israel, with their return um, from the end of the exile. And so here the, the the tribes are going up, the tribes of the Lord. Obviously, this is a reference to the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel goes on to be named in this verse. And what we get here is a vision of the future gathering of the tribes of Israel to Jerusalem, to Mount Zion. And they go up there to give thanks, it says. In other words, they go up there to offer praise, and they're offering praise um, to the name of the Lord. And the reference to the name, uh, as we have noted, particularly going through the Psalms, refers to the covenant surety. It's God's name that, that is the surety of the covenants that he has made. It's his name Essentially, that is on the line um, for those covenants to be fulfilled. And so, the, so it, it's a reference to giving thanks to the name of the Lord that secured those covenants, and those covenants have been fulfilled and realized in that future vision. Then we get to this center verse in verse 5. And here the throne of David is restored. Now, if you remember back to Psalm 89, Psalm 89 lamented that the throne and the crown of David's house had failed. It was laid in the dust. In other words, it's died. It has died out. And so here, the house, and that word for house is the same as what is previously used for house of the Lord, but here's the house of David, and the word in this sense um, doesn't refer really to a dwelling place or some sort of structure as much as it refers to the household. The family of David, the line of David, and that is the sense here, the thrones of the house of David. In other words, the thrones that belong to the house of David, um, they are set up in Jerusalem. The royal line is restored, and obviously that is realized in the promised son of David who would sit on his throne forever. That's promised according to the Davidic covenant back in 2 Samuel chapter number 7. And again, that is the central hinge verse um, in in this psalm. Then we get to verses six and seven, and and here's where we st- we start the ending part of this psalm, which is a essentially a command to pray for peace with reasons that are given. Now, the word peace here gets repeated a lot in these last four verses. It's the word shalom, um, which which does have an interesting play. Um, because it is a part of the word Jerusalem, um, the city of Jerusalem. Uh, and in fact, if I understand correctly, the, in the Hebrew, um, something like that, um, even, even comes very close to the actual word Jerusalem. In other words, it's, it's very close to it. Um, the city of peace is what that name um, would mean, being literally translated Jerusalem. And so we get peace, and we get Jerusalem, and, and, and there's a play on these words, which I guess is another poetic feature, but uh, there's a play on these words that goes through here. And the word for peace is the Hebrew shalom. And so it's, it conveys the idea of wholeness, of prosperity, of well-being, as well as security and tranquility. So this is a prayer for the restoration of Jerusalem that has been prophesied with the coming Messiah so again verse six it's one of those verses that you're probably familiar with you've probably heard it oh we're told to pray for the peace of Jerusalem but praying for the peace of Jerusalem is is not a prayer for peace in the Middle East in in the sense that we want a cessation of hostilities and some sort of treaty and for them all to get along over there right now it's a prayer for that future restoration of Jerusalem when it becomes the center not only of Israel but actually of all the nations of the earth, and peace flows forward from jerusalem so it's 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 much more of a prayer than us praying today, oh well, you know Jerusalem is being threatened by um, you know this country or that country, and we need to pray for their their peace That's not what this command for prayer is about so We have this reference to the walls and palaces. The word for palaces uh, probably would be more like what we would think of as citadels, as as holds or um, even fortresses along the walls of Jerusalem for the defense of the city. Um, And in another Zion Psalm, Psalm 48, verses 3 and 13, we also get mention of of these same words, the walls and and the citadels um, that are mentioned. And the indication of this is, is that it's a rebuilt city that's dwelling in peace and safety. Now, verses 8 and 9 close the psalm out and essentially give reasons for praying for the restoration of Jerusalem. Um, He says, for his brethren and for his companions' sake. Now, the word for brethren um, refers to kin, you know, the idea of, of kindred, kinship. And the word for companion is actually most often translated in the Old Testament, neighbor. And it is the word that is used in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse number 18, um, even the old command of the law, to love thy neighbor as thyself. We find that repeated um, in the New Testament and so on. It's that word for neighbor. Now, neighbor could certainly apply to a brother. A kinsman, a kindred. Uh, Paul talked about his kinsman according to the flesh, fellow Israelites. It can apply to those. But even if you go to um, like the parable of the good Samaritan, when the lawyer asked Jesus, "Well, who you know who, who is my neighbor?", um, and Jesus tells this tells this parable. Oftentimes, the emphasis here is actually, and it even comes through in the Old Covenant. Um, the emphasis here is having love on those of the nations, those non-Israelite nations. So David's prayer here is for his brethren and his companions' sake. And we certainly know that this this gathering of Israel, this restoration of Jerusalem, this restoration of Israel, well what does it mean? Well ultimately it means that the covenant with Abraham is going to be fulfilled And through him and through the nation from him, the blessings of God are going to flow out to all the nations of the earth. And I do believe that that is the emphasis here. For Israel's and the nation's sake, um, I will now say peace be within thee. In other words, there will be no peace on this earth until Jerusalem is restored and is under the reign of the house of David through David's son, Jesus Christ. So that is, that is the prayer. Now the aim of the prayer, as we come to verse 9 in the end, is for the dwelling of Yahweh in Zion. And that is what has been promised. That is where he's going to dwell with his people we go all the way back to psalm 2 and he has installed his anointed son king on his holy hill of zion to dwell with his people to rule over them and to rule over the nations and through that then good will flow out to israel and to all the nations of the earth through them all right let's go to interpretation um psalm 122 teaches that God's plan for peace for the world is worked out through people, places, and events of history. And we've talked about this a little bit, even in the starting of of looking at the Gospel of Matthew and how Matthew is um, referring to the history of Israel. And he's placing... He's placing Jesus the Messiah and his coming within the, the historical timeline of Israel as well as the scriptural prophecies and things that pertain to them. So when we look at a psalm like this, we're, we're seeing something very similar. God's plan for peace for this world is, is working out through these people and places and events and this histories. Now, on the one hand, another way that I could say that and have said that during this psalm study is that God is sovereign over history. And that, and that is that is very true, um, that God has foreordained history. And that is, again, very true. But we get just a little bit different view when we see such tangible, physical descriptions like in in this verse to think about, well, you know, David was a real person and he had a real descent. There were people that that were born, you know, generation after generation after generation to David's line ultimately coming to the Messiah as we saw there in the beginning of of Matthew. And so God is working all of these all of these all of his future plan, he's working it out in the history of the creation that he has made involving these different people and places and events. Now, the Jerusalem and Zion connection relies on the developing theology of Zion, particularly that comes out in the Psalms, but not just there. It agrees with what comes out in the prophets as well. So in other words, we have these references, um, and so it, it, it taps into this theology of Zion that Zion is the dwelling place of Yahweh, for instance. So Psalm 46 and verse 4, and Psalm 48 and verse 9, and Psalm 84 and verse 1, and Psalm 87 and verse 2. Zion is, as we are told, the highest mountain on the earth, not meaning its physical elevation, but the fact that it has been exalted because that is the seat of the kingdom and where the king will rule from that over all of the earth, Psalm 48 and verse 2. Zion is, is the place from which flows this river that is going to be the blessing to Israel and the nations in his kingdom, Psalm 46 and verse number 4. And also Zion is, is the place that is that sort, of, uh, it's sort of like the flag is planted after God has gained victory over all the nations, Psalm 48 verses 4 to 7. Now, the Messianic hope of Psalm 122 is seen through the restoration of the house of David to rule from Zion. And again, verse 5, that center verse, that hinge verse in this psalm. And this is something that's actually prophesied in, in different places. For instance, um, Ezekiel chapter 5 and verse 5 speaks of Zion becoming the center of the nations. In other words, we, we, we might refer to it as the capital of the world. Um, The center of Israel, Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 12, and also the place where the Lord is. So Ezekiel prophesies, Ezekiel chapter 48 and verse 35, how this Zion is going to be known as the place where the Lord is. And of course, as we read those prophecies about um, the kingdom, the coming kingdom, how all the nations are going to be gathered up and, and gathered to Jerusalem. They will go up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord, the king. And also, you, you can think about how that Jesus connected the peace and blessing of Jerusalem with his visitation. So an example of that is in Luke chapter 19 and verse 42. This is when Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. And here's, here's how the verse reads, saying, this is what Jesus was saying to, to the city of Jerusalem, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace but now they are hid from thine eyes. So Jesus is weeping over the city of Jerusalem because of all of, all of these things that David is, is praying for. All of these things are, are going to be fulfilled and are only going to be fulfilled with the coming of the Messiah. But as we find out, it's not in his first coming, but in his second coming. They rejected the Messiah. Those things that belong to their peace, they did not receive. Um, because they rejected him. He says, these things are hid from thy eyes. Why? Well, because, again, that is God's plan. That's God's purpose. And as we look through the prophecies, we can see that there are prophecies that relate to his first coming and prophecies that relate to his second coming, and it's not always easy to divide those, but those are definitely there. All right, let's go to application. I have two of these. Number one, understanding Psalm 122 helps us understand that the life of faith journey is ultimately toward Jerusalem. Where is it that we are going to go in the kingdom of Christ? Where is it that we're going to be throughout the eternal ages? He's going to dwell with his people in Jerusalem. This is ultimately our destination. Now, when a person of faith, when they die in this lifetime, we're told that their spirit goes to be with the Lord, so goes to heaven where God dwells in heaven, where his heavenly throne over this universe is. The spirit goes there. The body goes into the earth. Now, when Jesus comes again, then those bodies will be resurrected. Of course, you know the tribulation period and so on. And they'll go, they'll go to heaven to be with Jesus until, until he returns in Revelation 19 at the end of that tribulation period um, to establish his kingdom on this earth and we'll come back to the earth. And from there, we will, we will be forevermore with Jesus on the, on the, the earth for the millennial kingdom and in the new heavens and new earth in the eternal ages from Jerusalem. That is, that's ultimately the destination of the life of faith for the Jews as well as for the Gentiles, for the nations. All those who trust in him will be gathered to Jerusalem to worship King Jesus in that day. In a sense, we're not any different than David. David was looking forward in the far future to that day. And we're looking forward to that day as well. And that restoration of, of Jerusalem is something that we're going to see. Those who believe in him, are, we're going to see these things that are being um, written about here in the Psalms. Number two. So understanding Psalm 122 helps us understand to have hope and to pray beyond our own lifetimes. And so oftentimes we, and, and, and rightly so in the sense that we have troubles in this life, we are the people of our families and um, our church brothers and sisters and even of our, our neighbors and of, of people we know and have so many troubles and have so many sorrows and burdens and, and those weigh very heavy on us and we pray about those a lot. But how often do we pray beyond our lifetime? How often do we look and think beyond our lifetime and, and realize that that really is where our hope is? Even, even the people that saw Jesus in his incarnation and were healed of various diseases and various sicknesses, they went on to die. I mean, they saw the evidence of his power. and That was a sign of him authenticating him as the messiah sent from god but they went on to die even though they experienced this healing and so that that sort of temporary thing is not really where our hope is because if a temporary healing is all that we could experience then really we're no better off so david did not live to see these things he didn't live to see them but he's praying for them He's longing for them. He's writing about them, obviously under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But the other, the other thing is, though, that David will see it, and he will see it in his body, with his eyes. He will, in the resurrection, David will see this just as we will. So there, there really, in that sense, there really is no difference between us and David. So hopefully, um, you know, understanding a psalm like this helps us connect with that. And it even helps us pray and helps us in um, our, our hopes and our, our courage and, and things such as that. All right, that's Psalm 122. Do we have any questions or anything on what we've talked about here this evening? All right, well, then we'll pray. Uh, be dismissed from the study, and then again have just a short um, business meeting immediately following the service. Almighty Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for your word. And Father, we just thank you for the great blessings. Father, as we um, are troubled by many things in the world around us and even things in our own lives, Father, we're, we're thankful um, that that is not the end of the story. And Father, that we have um, so much to look forward to that we we can't even comprehend or imagine as we've been told in your word, and we just thank you for that, and I pray that you would help us to have the true feeling um, of hope that we have, Uh, Father, understanding uh, what you have uh, prepared uh, in the future for those who love you and for those who trust in you completely. Father, I pray that you would help us, though, during uh, these days that we live, as long as we have life and, and breath and strength, that we would praise you, that we would worship you, that we would pray to you, that we would trust in you, that we would follow you, that we would keep your word. And, Father, that we would also be good witnesses and testimonies to others um, around us that we come in contact with through your providence. Father, I pray all of these things tonight, asking that you would... Um, Bless us in all these things. Uh, Be with those that are not able to be with us, Father, and just have your hands upon them. And, Father, we pray all these things tonight in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ.